0: We do. do you feel the shadows deepen we do. But do you know that all the dark won't stop the light from getting through
1: we do.
0: do you wish that you could see it Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave. He escaped through and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? worthy of all blessing and
1: honor and glory? Is he worthy of his he is.
0: Does the Father truly love us? He loves. does. the Spirit move and is Jesus our Messiah hope forever those he loves he does. is a God intend to dwell again with us Is anyone more? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah who conquered the grave He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave From every people and tribe, every nation and tongue the kingdom and priest to God
1: To reign with the Son Is He worthy? Is He worthy? Of all blessing
0: and honor and glory Is He worthy? Is He worthy?
2: Good morning and welcome to East Hillsville Baptist Church. We're so glad that you could come here to the building today, that you are healthy. We have so much to thank God for. For those that are joining us at Facebook, uh, thank you all for streaming today. For those in the parking lot, again, we say this every week, we're so glad you're all here. We can't see you, but we know that you're out there. And uh, everybody just put your hand up and wave, okay? So everybody out in the parking lot, we just waved at you. Y'all feel welcome, but we do want to welcome you here today, and uh, if you're visiting, we encourage you to please stop by our guest table as you leave today. Just go down the hallway there to your left. We have a table set up, and we have guest bags there. We encourage you to take one of those. We also encourage you to fill out a guest card so we can have a record of your visit and know how we can better serve you. But as we begin our service today, I'm going to ask everyone to stand, and as you stand, I want to read a passage of Scripture from 1 Chronicles 29. As that song says, is he worthy? He absolutely is worthy. And as David prayed this, may this be the attitude of our heart as we gather to worship in this place today. Says David said, blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, O God, and praise your glorious name. Would you join me in prayer as we begin our service? Lord, you are indeed worthy. You alone are worthy of all praise and all glory. Lord, because of all that you've done for us, Lord, we should bow and give thanks. We should have an overflow of gratitude you have saved us you have called us and lord you sustain us every single day and we give you praise and maybe maybe what we do in this place today may it bring honor and glory to you and lord just change our hearts as we turn our attention to you in the darkness of this world in the struggles and the difficulties lord you still reign and you are worthy of praise so lord take pleasure in what you hear from your people today in jesus name amen let's sing together and worship
3: I'm so grateful that God is our healer. I want to read to you in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3 and 4, part of 4. It says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but God does and he understands. Aren't you glad that he's a God of all comfort? The scripture goes on and says this, Who comforts us with all in all our tribulations all that we go through this morning i lost a dear friend and you know some of you've lost people in your life but let's let god come and comfort your heart let him come and comfort you what you're going through jesus said blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted." let's join together in prayer and pray for those who need god's comfort this morning father I want to thank you this morning that you're the God of all comfort. You're the God of all mercies. And God, your mercies are renewed every morning that we get up and you give us life. God, I pray for those who are going through grief. I pray, Father, for those who have lost loved ones this day. And my friend, I pray for him and his family. I pray that you'd comfort them with your presence and power throughout this day and the days to come. Father, I want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you that you promised in your word that you're the God of all comfort, all that we face, all our tribulations, that we're not alone, that we don't walk alone, that we walk with you and you with us because you abide within us. This morning, there's many people who are going through difficult times, families that are hurting and going through grief and loss of life and loved ones. We ask this morning that your presence be so ever real and so ever dear to those who are hurting. Father, we want to thank you this morning for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the hope that we have in Christ. Lord, thank you that you're the resurrection and the life, our hopes in you. And we love you this morning in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated.
0: <laughs> search no more
1: there
4: like to share one word with you to start out and that word is immeasurable and that word means this incapable of being measured and Gary Jennings influence in my life is immeasurable Gary Jennings influence in this church has been immeasurable Gary Jennings influence in this county has been immeasurable most of you know, some of you don't know, Gary Jennings went home to be with the Lord this morning. And our thoughts and prayers are with his family. To Linda, I want to say that I love you. Scott, and Melissa, Jamie, and Heather, we love you. Gary's been gone from here almost 20 years, but his influence is here every day. He has become, over time, the county's pastor. I didn't know many preachers before the Lord saved me, but I did know Gary Jennings and when I became pastor of East Hills Baptist Church it wasn't the church was a blessing but also I was preaching from the same pulpit that Gary Jennings preached from incredible honor for me I remember that I would never take the when I was an interim pastor I was an interim pastor here for probably six months I guess and I never would go into his office I considered day his office until the church officially voted on me to be pastor So you pray for us. I'll uh, send out a phone tree and, of course, on social media whenever we know the arrangements fully. But uh, do pray for the family. Um, They do not want visitors because of the pandemic and different things like that. So please honor their wishes. I'm sure you can call or text or send a card, but please don't go to their homes right now. It's just not safe, and we're going to encourage you honor those wishes. Pray for me as I try to preach this morning. It's been a very difficult morning for me. Gary was a good friend, mentor. Uh, One of the things that Gary Jennings never did is he never did butt in. A lot of preachers can't say that. He was here for 30 years and was such a godly uh, mentor to me. He never gave me advice, but he would always allow me to ask for advice on any subject. And a lot, of, a lot of churches can't say that about a pastor who lives in the same county of the church that they pastored for 30 years. So I just want to tell the family once again that I love you, this church loves you, uh, this county loves you, and uh, we'll, we'll, a big part of us is missing today. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Romans chapter 12 and stand with me if you will. We're going to look at one verse. We're going to talk about authentic Christianity. Before uh, a lot of things happened... Here we were going through the book of Romans, and I'd go through certain chapters. We started into Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 and 2. We talked about what true worship is, presenting our bodies a living sacrifice. And then we started this mini-series called Authentic Christianity, and we read through verses 3 and 8 where we talked about spiritual gifts. And what Romans 1 through 11 does, it explains our salvation. Paul explains our salvation, how great our salvation is, and how that God has justified us. How that there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, how your salvation is eternal. And then in verse 12 on, on, he says, because of that, this is how you should live. Now notice the three exhortations that he gives just in this one verse. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, it says, Let love be without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil, and cling to what is good. Love without hypocrisy, abhor what is evil. And cling to what is good. And what Paul was saying is this if the God of the universe lives inside you through the Holy Spirit, then this should manifest in your life every day. And this is something that you do, this is something that you make a choice to do. And it's something oftentimes that God's children don't do. Okay? This has been a message that's really hit hard to me. This text is very good, and we should all apply it to our lives. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we love you. Father, we thank you for the help that that you alone can give. And Lord, we ask for your grace this morning. Lord, a part of this church is in heaven now. And Father, first and foremost, I lift their family up to you. Lord, I say this a lot, and it's just not preacher talk, but only you can heal the hurt that comes with death. Father, your word says that your grace is sufficient for these, these times. And Lord, we trust you for that. Father, I pray for this church. Lord, there are a lot of people here who are new to East Hillsville Baptist Church, but they knew Gary Jennings. And Father, we're so thankful for what he has done for the kingdom of God. And Lord, we're, we rejoice with him that he's with you now. And Father, we pray for this service today. That Lord, it would bring honor and glory to your life. As we look at these three, three exhortations, Lord, we should all surrender to your word today. Lord, it will change our lives, our church, and our communities, Lord, if we'll do this. Father, in Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said together, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The first thing that Paul tells us to do is love. I think it was John MacArthur says, when you look at this verse, and Paul starts everything with love. In 1 Corinthians 13, Paul said this after he talked about love. And now abides faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love. Over and over again, Paul says, if you want to fulfill the law, then you love. Notice Romans 13 on the screen. Paul says this, "O no man anything but to love one another, for he that loves another has fulfilled the law. Now notice what Jesus said about fulfilling the law. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So God says, you love me, and you love your neighbor. Now that is something that you must do. It's not a feeling Notice verse 13, or chapter 13 of Romans. Oh, no man, anything. That means there's a debt. And what he's saying is there should not be love debts in your life. Case in point, I've shared this with you before. Um, let's say Matt borrows some money from me. Let's say he borrows $10,000 from me, which I don't have, by the way. But let's just say that he did, okay? And I said, Matt, if you will, pay that back within six months, and we'll, we'll forgive everything, okay? But let's say... Two years have passed. And Matt just hadn't paid me back. Do you realize that Matt and I could come to church together, but guess what? He has a debt. Matt and I could go on vacation together to Hawaii, but guess what? He has a debt that has not been paid. All right? We we could go to all these different things. Every time Matt is in the room, guess what's in the room? Debt is in the room. Do you realize in Alexander County there are people that have debts that they have not forgiven? Debts that they have not forgiven. I'll bet in every church, not every church, but in most churches in Alexander County, there are people that will go into church on a Sunday morning and one family will sit over here and the other family will sit over here. You know why? Because they have a debt that has not been forgiven. He said this, she said that, they did this, they did that, and they did not forgive their debt. And I'm telling you to forgive your debt... Paul challenges the church at Rome, if you've been forgiven, then you should forgive. Owe no man anything but to love one another. Forgive is what he's saying. Let your love, notice verse 9, be without hypocrisy. This is so important that Jesus went on to say, notice what John says in 1 John 3, 14. John makes this statement, we know that we have passed out of death. You know what he's talking about here? We know that we have passed out of spiritual death into spiritual life, Because we love the brethren. And what John is saying is this. You know you're saved because you love your brother. That's how you know you're saved. And then he says, He who does not love abides in death. And what John would say is this. Don't tell me you're born again if you don't love your brother. Because you're abiding in death. You've never been born again. He's saying it's so easy to see if you're a Christian by these things. You don't have a drop of spiritual life in you if you do not love. Notice what Jesus said in John 13 he made this statement you are to love one another and by this shall all men know that you're my disciples and then Peter makes this tremendous statement above all things have fervent love for one another look at the word fervent this shows us that love is not an emotion it's an action that word for fervent means to stretch a muscle as far as you can stretch it because it causes growth and it means you're also stretching a muscle because what you're wanting that muscle to do is to get stronger. When people work out, they try to stretch their muscle as far as they can and crush that muscle because what's going to happen is it's going to get bigger. If you do, it's going to make you a better person. And what Paul is saying is this, have fervent love for one another. Stretch. That means you, sometimes you don't want to do it, but you do it because you've been born again. That means that you love people that aren't like you, that don't look like you. They maybe don't live like you. They don't come from the same background as you. You have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Notice that. Isn't that an amazing statement? You know what that means? That if I love you, I'm not going to nitpick every sin that you have in your life. If I love you, I'm not going to bring up your past. If I love you, I'm going to forgive you. Because my love is going to overcome that sin. It's an amazing statement. Imagine if we would do that. Imagine if we would apply what, what um, Peter is telling us here. Notice, and then verse 9 says this, you're going to love this way without hypocrisy. Hypocrisy means to disguise. Literally to lie about. And one of the ways hypocrisy shows itself, one man said this, one is that it tries to make the outside look better than the inside. We put forward what looks like a loving behavior that does not really signify what we feel inside that's why in 1st Corinthians thirteen three, notice what Paul says if I give away all that I have and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not love I gain nothing that's an amazing statement let your love be without hypocrisy Jesus put it this way hypocrites well did Isaiah prophesy about you saying these people draw near to me with their mouth you're saying the right words you're praising me and honor me with their lips But their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Few things brought down God's wrath like hypocrisy. Jesus says this in Matthew 23. It's not going to be on the screen, but he said this, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. There's that word that Paul uses. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanly nests. So the way that hypocrisy shows itself, the first way is we hide internal sin by putting up a moral external front. Another way is this. We hide our own flaws, sometimes even from ourselves, by drawing attention to other people's flaws so that ours don't show up so clearly. Is that not the truth? I'll look at your sin, but won't look at mine. It's easy for me to judge your sin, but not judge my sin. Jesus put it this way in Luke 6, 42. Jesus said, how can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that is in your eye when you yourself don't see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly you take out the speck that's in your brother's eye. Paul is saying this, real love doesn't act this way. Let love be without hypocrisy. Let me just sum it up for you. Let your love just be real. Just be real. There's no reason to be hypocritical about it. There's no reason to be judgmental about it. Just love people. Love people till it hurts. Fervent love says, I'm going to stretch out of my comfort zone to love you. Imagine if the church in Alexander County would be known for that. Wouldn't that be a blessing? The second thing he says is not only do you to love first, but you, to, you are to abhor, secondly. Abhor what is evil. This is the very opposite of love. Abhor. The word means detest. Literally here it means to be horrified. Recognize evil for the corrupting power that it is and be horrified by it. One scholar put it this way, there is an evil we are to hate this word abhor means to hate exceedingly it is more than justice like I have this abhorrence for evil and to utterly reject it and to refuse it and the evil here is what it is is the reason it's evil is because it's injurious it injures others it is whatever is wicked and sinful that will bring harm to others and this evil could be in my life and be a call for repentance because sin in my life does hurt others sin is never self-contained sin is never just kept to myself Whenever I sin, it has an effect upon those who are around me. So I need to abhor evil in my own life, the sin in my own life. Evil destroys true love. Love is not genuine when it allows evil to fester in yourself or in others. So I am to abhor evils first and foremost in my own life. Notice the word again, abhor, means to hate, to detest, to be horrified by. Evil. In your own life. Jesus put it this way. Notice this verbal exaggeration that Jesus uses in Matthew 18. Notice what he says, if your hand or foot causes you to sin cut it off and cast it from you. That's a pretty strong statement. Jesus is trying to tell us to abhor in our own life what is evil because of what it will do to us, our relationship to God, and what it will do to our brother and sister. Then he says this, it is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into the everlasting fire. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and to be cast into hellfire. What Jesus is saying is what Paul's saying. Paul used three words. Jesus uses a whole context here. And abhor what is evil. There was a man who traveled with Paul and he wasn't able to deal with this issue. Demas was one of Paul's fellow workers. He was in the gospel ministry with Paul along with Mark, Luke, and others. And Philemon, he mentions it. Colossians 4.14, when he writes this tremendous epistle to the church at Colossae, Paul closes his letter saying, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. See, back in those days when you traveled, you only had your friends with you. Because the, the, the pagan world did not welcome you. And Paul is saying in these letters, Mark is with me. Luke is with me, and praise God, Demas is with me. But Demas didn't abhor what was evil. Notice what Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.10. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. This is at the end of Paul's life. The last thing that he ever wrote was chapter 4. And one of the things he mentions from a jail cell before he's executed is this. Demas left me. He left me. You know what Paul asked for from this cell? Can you bring my coat? Can you bring my books? Nobody would bring them. Demas left. Only See, back then, they, they, it's not like prison system now. Your family and friends fed you or you didn't get food. They brought your coat or you didn't have it. And Paul says, I don't have nobody here. Demas left. Listen to the commentary on this. Something happened to Demas. Demas forsook Paul, abandoned the ministry, and left town. Paul wrote about the sad situation. The Greek word uh, used in the original implies that Demas had not merely left Paul, but left him in, as the quote was back then, in the lurch. That is, Demas, now this this is very important, had abandoned Paul in a very critical time of need. The apostle was in prison facing a death sentence, and that's when Demas chose to set sail. Undoubtedly, Paul was deeply let down by Demas. It's never easy to see a friend and associate with whom you've placed your trust forsake you in the midst of hardship. The separation caused, Demas desertion, caused by Demas' desertion of Paul was not merely fatal, but spiritual. Demas, Demas left Rome because he fell in love with the world. In other words, Demas chose the corrupt value system of the unsaved world over the heavenly values. It, it's translated this way. Demas loves the things of this life. He goes on to say this. We don't know the details of Demas' situation, But it is evident that Demas decided that Satan has to offer what he has to offer in this life is better than what God has to offer in the next life. Nowhere in the Bible do we read of the restoration of Demas. The tragedy is this story is played out over and over and over again in this county, in these churches, because people will not in their own life abhor what is evil. You have to hate it. You have to cut it off. You have to separate from it, you have to run from it, you have to make a decision. I want you to notice this verse on the screen. This is from King David. The sword devours one as well as another. You're like, what's the big deal about that? It's an amazing statement. This is is when David didn't abhor evil in his own life, during his sin with Bathsheba. And this one phrase shows where David is spiritually at this time. The sword devours one as well as another. That is almost blasphemy. As a matter of fact, it is in his life. You remember David's on the rooftop. He sees Bathsheba bathing. He sends for her and they say, Well, this is Uriah the Hittite's wife. And David says, I don't care. i got to have her. He brings her to his palace. She gets pregnant. And then he calls Uriah home from battle. And Uriah would not go into his wife. He says, How can I do this while our men are fighting? And then David, David sends a letter that has your eyes' death certificate in there. Now listen what one commentator said. He says, "...these words are some of the most shocking words that we find in Scripture... ...in perhaps one of the most shocking chapters of the Bible. King David, the hero who killed tens of thousands of e- evil people, enemies of God... ...the worshiper who penned the most beautiful songs and chapters in the Bible... ...the man who was anointed by God to be the king of Israel has become a momentary atheist. That's what evil does. Listen to this. He had just committed an unconscionable crime. He had taken Uriah's wife Bathsheba and impregnated her. He had brought Uriah back who was out at war and tried to convince him to go to Bathsheba so that he would think it was his baby. Then when Uriah refused, he sent a message to his general ordering the death of Uriah by his own hand. See, when the king sealed the letter, you couldn't open it and Uriah was faithful to David. Think about this. And then when Uriah had successfully been killed, what was he supposed to do? How would he live within himself? How could he continue to live in sin? And then David says this, For the sword devours one as well as another. And the writer goes on to say, In other words, David is saying that God doesn't exist. People die by the sword randomly. And there's nothing that kings, generals, or soldiers can do about it. God is not sovereign. Chance and life is. This is where David is. This is typical talk for unbelievers, but not for a writer of Scripture. I can't think of anyone who believed in God's sovereignty more than David. He refused to lay a hand on Saul because he was God's anointed. He fearlessly confronted Goliath because he knew God was with him and he would win. In Psalm 29, 3 through 10, David clearly believes that God is sovereign over animals, forests. Our, our, he has numbered our days. He even declares God to be the king of the flood, destroying everyone and everything in it. Yet he becomes, at this season in his life, an atheist. Why? Why would David do this? Here's why. He doesn't want to give up his sin. He's a thief. He has taken someone's wife, and he's taken someone's life. At this point in his life, he chose Bathsheba over God. How many times have I heard this story played out over and over and over and over again over and over again great men like David choosing Bathsheba over the God of the universe over and over again over and over again it happens because we do not abhor what is evil Bathsheba was just a little bit too much for the king and he couldn't handle it or himself thankfully David repents eventually, and you can read Psalm 51 and Psalm 32 and and see what a tragic life David lived in this year, year and a half that he would not repent of his sin. So we're to love without hypocrisy. We're to abhor what is evil in our lives, and then number three, we're to to cling to what is good. That word "cling" in chapter nine means this: it means to cleave, it means to stick like glue. It means to not to be separated from it. The word good means inherently good, genuinely good, qualitatively good, and most commentators think that Paul, was a, in the context of Scripture, is talking about God's Word. Now notice Psalm 1, and this is the verse that I want to show you, just part of this, but I'm going to read the whole thing. It talks about the blessed life. And this is why you to cling to what is good. It's not only good for you, but it, what comes from it is good. It's, it's great. Psalm 1 says this, Blessed is the man, or as one commentator put it, everything I'm going to tell you brings true fulfillment and joy. We could even relate it to someone who is leading the way. Blessed is the man, verse 1 says, and it's not on the screen, who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly. So what he's saying is this, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel, which means you're getting all these ideas from the ungodly nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scornfuls. What you have is a progression here, okay? You have a man who walks, then he stands, then he sits. Walks, stands, and sits. Howard Hendricks said this, "...the two factors which will most influence where you will be ten years from now are the books you read and the friends you make. This man walks, stands, and sits in the counsel of the ungodly or the seat of the scornful." That word scornful means those who mock God. Then he goes to verse 2, but talking about the next man, he's talking about two paths here. But his delight is the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates all day and night. And if he does that, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season whose leaves shall also not wither and whatever he does he shall prosper. This man, the, the word we looked at was clean Here he uses this word, delight. It's the same word in the Old Testament used of a husband and wife delighting in themselves. Have you noticed that when a young man delights in a woman, he rearranges his priorities? And so suddenly he has plenty of time to spend with her, and he doesn't do it because he has to, he wants to. If God's word is a delight to you, you'll rearrange your priorities to spend time in the word. Personally, you'll, you'll spend time in the Word. You're to delight in it. Then he goes on to make this statement. You're to meditate on it, which means to sound aloud. And if you do that, he promises three things, and then we'll close. In your life, you'll have stability. He says he'll be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. Notice the word tree there. It's a tree, not a plant, because many plants are seasonal. Great churches are filled with trees, not plants. Do you hear me? Great churches are filled with trees, not plants. We're going through a season in Alexander County, right? We're going to see who the trees are. When this is over, you're going to see who the trees are. Trust me. We'll see who the stable ones are. Those who are committed to a local church. You're going to see all over the county. All over the county, you'll see. Are you a tree? Or are you a plant? You know when Paul gives a list of qualifications of a deacon, he says, don't get a novice. Don't you you vote a novice in. You know what a novice is? Literally, the Greek word means they're a plant. Which every time the storm comes, they're uprooted. Or every time those seasons change, they're gone. Ladies, be a tree for your children. Men, be a tree. Don't be a plant. If you delight in God's word and you meditate in God's word, you'll have stability like a tree. That's, that's, why, that's why Paul says, not only do you love without hypocrisy, do you abhor what is evil, but you cling to what is good. That's something you have to do. You have to do. And then Psalm 1 says you meditate on it, you delight in it, and you'll have stability. And then he says this, notice, you'll be fruitful. he will be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water which yields its fruit in its seasons. God is not promising financial prosperity here, but rather soul-satisfying spiritual prosperity. How well do you know God? How well? Somebody says, I just wish God would speak to me. We'll read his Bible. Somebody says, I wish God would speak to me out loud. We'll read his Bible out loud because God's speaking through his word. Delight in his word. Meditate on his word. And God says this, you'll be stable. You'll be like a tree that's planted. You're not seasonal. You're not up and down. You are who you are. Okay? And then you'll prosper. And I'm not meaning you'll prosper financially, but you're going to prosper in here. You have all of God right now that you want. Make a commitment today, God, I'm going to be committed today to delight in your word and to meditate on your word. And then the third qualification we have, you had stability, fruitfulness, and then endurance. Notice what he says. Whose leaf does not wither. Uh, he, he or she, they weren't just here 20 years ago. They'll be here 20 years from now. You know, I preached a funeral last week of a lady who served in the nursery for 70 years. 70 years. How many preachers did she serve through? She wasn't a preacher fan, and I'm sure she loved them all. 70 years. wonder how many issues this church had during that time but she was still here. wonder how many rainy days she didn't miss wonder how many times she didn't feel like going to church, but she went. Seventy years she had endurance. Why? Because she delighted in, meditated on God's Word. It brought stability. It brought fruitfulness, fruitfulness, and it brought endurance. In other words, when tough times comes, he or she is an evergreen. It does not dry up and blow away like the chaff of ungodly lives. Here today, there tomorrow, gone the next day. It is rooted in the enduring wisdom and character of Of Jesus Christ. This is my challenge to you this year. To love. To abhor. And to cling. And if you do those three things. If we're alive 30 years from now. We'll all still be here doing the same thing. Amen. Every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus. Salvation alone is in his name. Place your faith in the resurrected Christ. And then those that are born again, make a commitment today to love. It's it's an act, it's a matter of the will. Lord, today I commit to loving without hypocrisy. Are there any debts between you and someone else? On your end right now, why don't you forgive those debts? Then the Bible tells us to abhor what is evil and we start in our own life. David would often say when he was walking with the Lord, Lord, examine my heart to see if there's any wicked way in me. Why don't you do that now? For the health of yourself, spiritual health of yourself, for your family, and for your future. Abhor what is evil. And then finally, make a commitment to cling to what is good. Make a commitment today to allow God's Word to be a part of your life. Delight in it. Rearrange your schedule. Your priorities put the Bible first and allow God to give you stability, fruitfulness, and endurance. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we can meet together and worship. Father, we thank you for these exhortations. And Father, we submit to your word today and say, yes, Lord. Work these things out in my life. And to God be the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. And once again, all of God's people said... Amen. God bless you. I hope everyone has a great week, and we'll keep you updated on the services to follow. Thank you.